we are recording. Hi everyone and happy new year. And welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. <laughs> Christ, the year didn't even pass, I'm so tired. Hang on, hang on, compose. Welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. And we are your podcast producers for this term. Eliza's at home. I'm staying here in Cambridge. So we are here to give you Cambridge from home and Cambridge from Cambridge in a term where, sadly, everything has gone online. Beloved Mayball band Colonel Spanky's Love Ensemble putting it a lot better than we could. It really does feel like we ain't got no home. So we're hoping that amongst the Zoom fatigue, you can switch off and feel at home when you tune in to Switchboard. We're going to do our best to bring the Cambridge Prep queue to your listening ears. Welcome to the second episode of Switchboard where we are here to give you the scoop on Toop. So we won't talk for too long because I'm sure you'd much rather hear from Toop himself. Let's get on with the interview. The first thing we kind of want to ask you is, what is your role as Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge and what kind of made you want this position? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, my role is overall to try to advance the academic mission of the university. Uh, So I have responsibility for trying to ensure, uh, as I see it, uh, that Cambridge uh, remains uh, one of the very top universities in the world. Now, I obviously don't do that alone. I I have to work with an extended team across the university and colleges, but I'm supposed to try to set uh, a tone, uh, try to establish strategic priorities, collaborating with colleagues, and uh, then ensure that the operations actually support the mission. Um, I, I never thought that I would uh, be uh, the Vice Chancellor of Cambridge. It wasn't any ever on my radar screen as something I would do, even though I was a graduate of the university uh, way back in the 80s with a PhD in international law. But uh, I got a call from uh, the search consultants uh, that had been uh, brought in to help the university find a vice chancellor uh, now four years ago. And uh, I must admit, when they called me, I thought, wow, that's that's a remarkable opportunity. Cambridge is an incredible university with extraordinary global reach. Uh, so it was clearly something exciting to contemplate. How do you think your role has changed kind of over the, the course of this last crazy year? Because I think from our perspective, we definitely feel like there's a stronger student relationship? Uh, Yeah, look, it's been really interesting in many ways. Obviously, no one would have wanted to go through this experience. It's it's a terrible experience for so many people. Um, And my role has changed because I'm obviously having to deal more on a day-to-day basis with just dramatic uncertainty. Uh, And that's meant that it's really been necessary to, uh, uh, certainly on a weekly basis and at the beginning on a daily basis, uh, talk to the community directly. I mean, I've always tried uh, to uh, engage as much as possible with students, but 
uh, I would have had much more travel uh, under my uh, normal circumstances in this role, but I've been sitting here in Cambridge for the last year. And uh, that's uh, meant that I've really had to engage much more actively to try to help people understand where we are, where we're going, and why some of the decisions have been made as they have been made. And one of the things that I'm hearing a lot of students be confused by is whether you think there's been any disparity in the quality of teaching. And I think that's causing a lot of students to question why there hasn't been a safety net implemented this year, but there was one given last year. Look, I can't pretend that there's going to be absolute uh, consistency across every subject uh, by all instructors. What I do know is that uh, colleagues across the university and the departments, the faculties, the colleges, and our Center for Teaching and Learning have been working tirelessly to modify the ways in which teaching is delivered to students. They started that obviously during the first lockdown, and I hope that we've learned a lot and therefore we will be in an even stronger position uh, this time and this term. Uh, we did a, a pulse survey of uh, students uh, and their response to teaching, and actually the response overall was quite positive, uh, and that was of course reassuring to me, but as I say, I can't guarantee of course that that's absolutely consistent. We're trying to do our very best to support our colleagues to do the best they can. So in the first term uh, of lockdown, we were able to uh, use, uh, as, you, as you said, a, a safety net provision, uh, a no detriment policy. But all of the Russell Group universities, including Cambridge, have decided that that is simply not possible uh, this time round. And that's because most of last year's results relied on summative assessments from the previous year, but those aren't available for 2020. And so to try to uh, implement the same policy would actually uh, really result in unfairness to all students because we would really not have the basis on which to make uh, judgments uh, on the basis of previous results. So uh, what we're doing instead is trying to look very carefully across the board at how we can develop a package of mitigation measures, and that's going to be released later this term, uh, to uh, ensure that uh, academic performance will be assessed fairly. And I do want to promise to students that disruption that's brought about by COVID-19 will be taken into account. Uh, but we just can't do it in an across-the-board fashion. It's going to have to be more tailored. And uh, we're working with student representatives in designing that policy right now. And as I say, uh, there will be much more detail on that coming out later this term. What this kind of links to, I think, in terms of directly at a student level, is where your role in the world of colleges lies. So I'm sure, as you know, over this year, there was a lot of controversy over how things were handled over different colleges um, versus how they handled the restrictions and rulings for the pandemic last term. And now there's a lot of disparity between returns policies for different colleges. Um, we were just wondering how aware you are of this disparity, of these disparities, and what your role could be at this college level. 
Well, I certainly hear regularly about concerns expressed by both individual students, and, and I can assure you that the Cambridge Student Union is bringing these concerns uh, to uh, the Pro Vice Chancellor of Education, Graham Virgo, and directly to me. So, of course, I've heard of these concerns. It's really important, I guess, a couple of points uh, to emphasize. Uh, first, colleges are independent in their decision-making. They are separate charities to the university and they're governed by their own uh, rules of governance, uh, usually involving, of course, uh, the fellowship of the college making final determinations on policy. Now, we can I personally and the Central University uh, will certainly try to ensure that all of the knowledge that we have available to us through government guidance, uh, through my conversations with ministers, through conversations with uh, uh, all of the people who are leading our own pandemic response, our infectious disease experts, all of these people, psychologists, I try to share all the information I have with the colleges. Uh, and make sure that everyone is aware of what uh, the overall approach from government on uh, their guidance is and uh, what knowledge we have uh, from our own experts is. But I can't uh, force colleges to take decisions. And that's because the very structure of uh, Cambridge is essentially a federation of the colleges. Uh, so what I will say though, secondly, is I know that the colleges are all trying their very best to think through carefully how to balance a couple of different issues. One, of course, is questions, for example, around student well-being and mental health, but so too on the other side is a set of concerns around physical health. And because of the really rapid transmissibility of the new COVID variant, uh, a, a number of colleges uh, are quite concerned about their capacity to have large numbers of students in residence. They're afraid that there could be outbreaks that they couldn't manage, and they also have to think about their own staff and the ability of staff to manage in a situation of crisis. So overall, what I'm saying is there's always an exercise of judgment here, and there will be some differences amongst the colleges, but overall, I can assure you that in all my conversations, everyone is trying to balance those considerations of mental health, well-being, and physical health constantly. They may make slightly different evaluations of exactly how that plays out, but uh, everyone is trying their best on this. And it sounds like these decisions um, about student welfare are being taken, are being made by tutors, really considering the students as an individual. And I know that you said um, in an interview a couple of days ago that to prospective applicants, they shouldn't worry because Cambridge is making decisions on a very personal level. Yes. But I think as a student, we have that very personal relationship with the college, but also this more abstract relationship with the faculty who will be awarding our degrees and um, classifying those. And as a student, how should we be thinking about these mitigating circumstances over the coming term? Will that be a decision made by our personal relationship with a tutor or a DOS in college, or will it be a more centralised decision? Uh, well, uh, it's a, that's a great question. And I think that uh, it's going to be a balance again of, of both of those things. There's no doubt that uh, because of the supervision system and because of the personal knowledge of DOS as tutors, uh, that will, of course, play out 
in the assessment of overall performance. Uh, at the same time, as you well know, the departments uh, and other units of the university set a lot of the um, actual um, assessment measures, but the, the overall assessment of the student will be a balance between uh, what is uh, the performance that is reported upon in the supervisions uh, through the colleges and the departmental structures. But I, I do want to assure you again that everyone is very aware that there have been significant and extraordinary pressures on students during this time. And the, the overall goal will be to uh, try to ensure that assessment is as fair as possible and a whole series of measures will be uh, uh, put into practice so that we can assure that. Yeah, and I think this whole point about colleges and doing things personally is something that's quite unique to Cambridge. It is. It's one of the greatest benefits that we have in this really terrible time. Absolutely. I think and it's something all students do realise. Um, but as we kind of said, there is the this thing about colleges where these disparities have caused a lot of worry, a lot of stress on student level who feel like their fate is kind of in someone else's hands at this point. And given the decisions that you make on a university-wide level, do you ever wish that our collegiate system could allow for more centralised decisions, that you could kind of see a bit more of a wider spectrum instead of things being so individual? Well, yes, I think I would be, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say there are moments when it would be a bit easier if we had a more centralized system. I, I think that that is a fair observation. On the other hand, there are such enormous benefits from the collegiate system overall for students that uh, I wouldn't uh, give it up for anything. I, I must admit, I, I used to be the vice chancellor of a very large university in Canada, the University of British Columbia, that had more than 50,000 students. And I remember thinking at that time, I really wish we had something like a college system because the proximity of knowledge around uh, tutors, uh, even, even people who are, are just interacting with students informally like betters and, and, uh, and porters, uh, gives the colleges knowledge about students that a large university without the college system could never have. So uh, yes, you know, a little more um, unity of approach on occasion would be helpful, but I can say that on balance, I wouldn't trade this system for anything. And we began by speaking about your role as vice chancellor, and it's very much to do with Cambridge's goals and their interests. But um, one thing that I think students are frustrated with is this kind of national, these national questions now about tuition fees, and about staggered return policies and now um, mass testing, which I know Cambridge specifically had with our asymptomatic testing. Where do you think students should be directing frustration over tuition fees or over the fact that they feel that they're perhaps not being really included in a comprehensive government response? It's, it's rough. Uh, look, uh, I must admit, I wouldn't really want to be in government right now. I think the sets of decisions they're having to take are really, really difficult. Uh, and there are so many competing interests. Uh, that said, uh, it's also 
fair to say that there has been perhaps more uncertainty than necessary and and sort of going backwards and forwards uh, in decision making at the governmental level which i think has been frustrating for uh, for everyone uh, not just for students I was quite struck that in the Prime Minister's uh, last public statement when he announced the lockdown, he didn't mention universities. That, that struck me as strange, given that there's been so much discussion about the question of you know, student travel across the country, and that's been the justification for the lockdown uh, for universities. So I know I talked to the universities minister very regularly. I'm, I'm on a task force that she created to try to manage all of this. And, you know, she's a person of goodwill, Michelle Donnellan. I think she's trying her best. But I, I do think that if students are frustrated about sort of overall uncertainty, that that really does relate largely to national policy. Uh, and, and so organizing at a national level is a very wise thing to do. Thank you. I know that was a, a harsh question. No, no, look, it's a fair question. Yeah, I think there's been a, there's so much uncertainty as to your role and then to what extent Cambridge is making these decisions as opposed to them being national. Well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the decisions, obviously lockdown decisions, decisions about who can come back, who can't, these were all set out in government guidance very, very clearly, which I've tried to share with students so that you're aware of what it is that we're hearing. Yeah, I think the interesting point as well with um, asymptomatic testing is, of course, asymptomatic testing was one of the reasons we all felt so confident coming back last term. And um, we are in a unique position that way. So how do you think the asymptomatic testing plays into our potential future? Oh, I, I think it's absolutely crucial. Uh, I, I was so proud of the work that uh, my colleagues did on the asymptomatic testing program and also extremely grateful uh, for the sensible behavior of students. We had more than 80% of eligible students participating. Uh, that was a, a huge uh, achievement uh, for our student body. And it really meant that we had very clear information about where there were uh, small outbreaks, we could manage them. And, and, you know, in the last week that uh, students were here in, at the end of uh, the last term, uh, amongst all of the asymptomatic tests that were done, there was not a single case uh, of uh, COVID detected. That was a huge achievement. So I'll be very frank, it's a bit frustrating for me that the sort of national rules uh, have meant <laughs> that we can't bring uh, students back, even though we were managing this extremely well. The good news is that as soon as things open up again, and they will, uh, I think we'll be in a very good position uh, to uh, re relaunch the program. In fact, we are going to be running it this term for those students who are in Cambridge. And uh, I think it will help us uh, manage. It doesn't prevent transmission, but it certainly gives us such clarity of where there are cases that we can manage them efficiently. And it also means, by the way, that we don't have transmission from the university into the wider Cambridge city community. And that's been very important in reassuring public officials that we can actually manage the situation effectively. Yeah, it's very different to other universities where I've heard there's there's been some tension between between students and the local community. Very much so. We've really been able to uh, avoid that almost completely. If I can go off on a bit of a tangent 
there's one thing that I've heard cropping up recently, which is that many students feel that they've lost out on a university experience. And that's just, you know, that's one of the realities of COVID. We've all lost out on a lot over the past year. Um, and I think there seems to be an increased number of students interested in undertaking master's programs, um, PhDs, to basically try and stay in Cambridge for longer. Right. Has the university thought about that in terms of like expanding master's programs or PhD programs so that more students could stay on? Wow, that's, I, I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, first off, let me say, I am really uh, conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, a generation of students will not have had the full experience of being at Cambridge over the course of the last year. And, and I think that that is sad. I'm really aware of that. I, I think this is a particular challenge for uh, younger people who are sort of entering into this wider world and wanting all of the opportunities that that presents. And COVID has sort of put a stop to a lot of that. So it, it is really, really deeply frustrating for so many students. I completely get that. Uh, and yes, uh, to answer your question, we are really aware that there may be a, a, a strong desire on the part of students to have a longer experience in Cambridge. So we are actively working right now to try to create expanded uh, opportunities for uh, master's programs. Now, there are constraints here. I mean, it's very difficult to get those up and running really quickly. Um, and of course, there are also even physical constraints as to what colleges can manage, et cetera. But we have a program uh, of investment uh, where we've actually asked all of the schools to designate uh, new potential programs, uh, particularly taught postgraduate master's programs that they would like to offer. And we're trying to uh, expand those as quickly as we can over the course of the next few months and, and year. So a uh, short answer is yes, very aware of that and trying to deal with it actively. No, it sounds amazing. And kind of talking about, again, different schemes that, that the university is going on, you've announced a few days ago the foundation scheme. And in a time where there's a lot of um, questions about access requirements and obviously things being very difficult. Um, tell us a bit more about this scheme and kind of what do you think it could bring to the university as a whole? Well, the foundation year has been a, a little bit of a personal mission of mine, I have to admit, since I came to Cambridge, because I, I was very aware of all of the great work that colleagues have been doing over the last few years to widen participation, to increase access to traditionally excluded groups. But there's always been a, a group of people that I felt and others across the university felt were, were not being addressed by our widening participation programs. And those were students who experienced really significant educational detriment. Uh, either because they had to pause their studies or, or, or they were in care or all sorts of uh, different reasons uh, or came from backgrounds where they just didn't have the opportunity to study as effectively, but where there had been a clear identification in schools that these were truly talented people who just weren't going to be able to do as well as they should be able to do on standardized exams like uh, A-levels. So we wanted to try to figure out how we could create a bridge for those kinds of students into a place like Cambridge, which is, of course, as you well know, really demanding. And so we, we started to 
think about how to do that. And uh, we explored options that existed in other universities and we've designed uh, the foundation year program, which is uh, uh, structured so that really talented students uh, and uh, the, 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 they obviously will be identified out of schools or they will self-identify uh, and they have to have um, reached the equivalent of about BBB in A-levels, although we're going to be very, very flexible about how we evaluate that. Uh, and what we're going to do is allow them to come to Cambridge uh, for a year to essentially uh, be able to strengthen their study skills, strengthen their core knowledge, so that they would then have the potential to move directly into a Cambridge undergraduate program. And what's unique about this is it's spread across uh, 13 colleges. Uh, it will uh, ensure that people are integrated into the full uh, college experience and it will be completely uh, free, cost-free, uh, to the students involved because very uh, wonderfully uh, we have a series of philanthropists who are underwriting the entirety of this program led by Peter and Christina Dawson uh, who've given us five million pounds and now others are uh, coming in to support the program as well. You mentioned that it was kind of your personal mission um, which I think is a really nice thing to hear um, and obviously we started asking about your role as Vice-Chancellor and given the last year is there anything that you've learned and is there anything you'd want to change about the role or the way the university functions because of what you've learned? Oh yes, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt, uh, both personally and institutionally. I, I, I should mention that uh, we have an entire program which we're calling the Recovery Program, uh, which is being led by our Pro Vice Chancellor Andy Neely. And it is designed to try to identify the things that we've learned both positively and negatively through the COVID experience and to ensure that we actually learn and change behaviors as a result of what we've learned. I'll just point to two things. Um, you already, uh, I think, implicitly commented earlier that um, as Vice Chancellor, I've certainly had more opportunity to engage directly with the wider community, students and staff. That will, I, I have no doubt, continue at some level. It may not be quite as consistent as it's been through the crisis, but I do think um, we've learned that that is actually useful to try to help people understand the dynamics of our community. And so that will be one thing that will surely continue. I also think that, um, you know, I've personally learned that it is possible to have effective meetings, um, even with international partners, etc., cetera, uh, through uh, the use of things like Zoom and Teams and all of that. It, it, it may seem trite, but I actually think it's quite important it will mean, for example, I'm sure that I will cut my carbon uh, footprint considerably by trying to uh, ensure that when I'm traveling, it is because it's absolutely necessary and uh, that we don't do uh, trips uh, that could be done uh, almost as effectively through uh, online uh, provision. I mean, those are two very specific things. I would say more generally, we've actually learned as an institution that we can make decisions more nimbly than is typically the case because of the rather complicated governance structures at Cambridge. I think we have to figure out 
wanting to ensure uh, collegiate governance is maintained, but at the same time, uh, try to learn from the nimbleness that we've created in our decision making and, and allow that to continue uh, where necessary going forward. So yeah, I think there's a lot that we've learned and we have to make sure that we don't forget it as we come out of the crisis. I'm really glad that it sounds like you're a fan of Zoom then. Um, thank you so much for joining us um, now a couple of times. It's my pleasure and I really appreciate uh, your uh, work in, in trying to help our community stay connected. Best wishes to all of you. Thanks everyone for listening. And actually a lot of the questions that we used came from stuff that you guys sent us in on Facebook and on Instagram. And we'd love to hear from you again for next week's episode. So head on over to all those socials. You can send us a message anonymously if you want to. You can send us an audio clip. Or if you fancy a chat, we can always hop on Zoom and get you guys on the radio. And whilst we're waiting to hear what you guys think, we've been thinking back to last March. We're thinking forward to this March. And next week's episode is all about an online term. Where we're going to be talking about mental and physical health during this time speaking to student minds and sports editors and Pink Peak. We hope you're looking forward to it and I'm sure you're sick of our voices by now. So here is Olivia from New Music Cambridge. She's bringing us a beautiful track that touches on so many of the issues we discussed today. And the best part is it was written, performed and produced by a fellow Cambridge student. To finish the show this week, we'll be hearing a song by Katrina Rose, who is a second year PBS student at Newnham. Her debut EP, A Room Full of People, was released on Spotify in October. We'll be hearing her first song, Cracks, which might seem sad, but has a really hopeful message about finding your way when you're stuck between two places, something that might resonate with our listeners today. This is Cracks by Katrina Rose. I've been forgotten by the people who tell me I'm not alone. I've been waiting makeshift living floating in a semi-home and this place i've come to know i think it's warm but it is cold i've fallen through the cracks and now i'm on my I'm sorry to the people I let go of on the way Your hands were strong and it felt wrong to ride that kind of wave And I'm sorry to my former self, I choked you till you ran Now I'm the one who's breathless, now I'm the one who's left without a plan Controlling the game till itself declared a war Is it my fault if my cells turned in and dropped a hidden bomb? Now logic's a forgotten thing So I'll keep knowing I am in the wrong
healing, trying to find my way back home. And this place I've come to know still whispers run, I'll help you go. Oh, I'd fallen through the cracks, but from 